All right, welcome to another episode of Old School Thoughts, and thank you for all that you do to make this podcast possible. I'm Frank Goodman. And Martha. Okay, tonight we're without Pastor James. I'm leaving Pastor James open for the Super Bowl so he could tell us about it. But Martha yeah. and I want to kind of jump into this thing today. And this is based on a post that she and I both made on Facebook as uh, I'm working on this series for African American History Month. And I've been approaching this whole study based on genealogy. And I've tried to kind of make it personal by providing information about my family, but tying it in to the timeline of history. So it's not completely about my family. It's just, if I'm going to talk about it, let me use my family as, as an example and tie that experience into the timelines of history. So today, I talked about the Three-Fifth Compromise and the 13th Amendment. And I am trying to convey a message that we need to understand and know what is in the Constitution and how the Constitution was written and supposed to have been this founding document based on fairness, human fairness, liberty, civil liberties, uh, justice, and everything else. And we know that everything that was based on that country, on that, on that Constitution, the treatment of Africans and Africans in America was contrary to that. So, Martha, what are your thoughts about what caused you to get involved with that post today? Well, you, you wrote a very lengthy post, mm-hmm. and that post kind of covered the history of most people in America. Most people were black in America. Mm-hmm. And you were rightly uh, correct in pointing out that we need to focus on, first of all, the Constitution, how it's written, mm-hmm. the three-fifths clause, which I think me- most people don't really understand, that we were once counted as three-fifths of a person. Right. And then finally, to see how that ties to our condition today. Because it's a thread that runs through from the time of colonialism to now. And so I think when you wrote your lengthy um, dissertation, I'm going to call it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) encouraging people to read those two documents, it struck a chord in me because it's been something that I have been focused on and thinking about for a long time. And thinking that we really, truly don't follow the timeline of history to see that some of what is occurring with us and that keeps repeating with us, because there's a pattern that it keeps repeating, is because of the way uh, the laws were set up in this country to address us, and specifically us. So that was my um, effort to respond back to that and to, to give a little bit more context to say, that, you know, in 1676, we were, they were enslaved, but they were also indentured servants along with us. And there was a rebellion that took place because those indentured servants and the slaves that followed them or joined with them realized that they were being used. They were being taken advantage of, and they wanted better uh, conditions. Well, at the end of it was... The indentures got better conditions, but the slaves got worse. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what motivated me to kind of elaborate a little bit on that, 
so that we would understand that even in that early time and early period, because we're talking about uh, a time before the American Revolution, we were still then, uh, unfortunately, not treated as human beings and not treated with respect. You know, and then I, I think I went a little further to say that by 1691, at least, that's the first time in the law of America that it was really written to identify persons who were not white individuals or Caucasians as uh, an other race and as black and as someone who was inferior to the white structure or the white society. This is what we see today. This is the, those are the seeds of what we call white supremacy today. And I think we need to understand that that thread of bringing a different viewpoint that you're going to be superior to one person and you're going to use one person t to your advantage because it's all about money and it's all about labor and it's all about control. You're going to use those people to your advantage and you're not going to ever let them get a, a foot up to make a uh, complete turnaround and be accepted as the same as yourself. So that's, that's kind of the history. And I think we need to be aware of that history. You know, and as you pointed out rightfully so, when we look at the 13th Amendment, that amendment clearly says, okay, we understand that you've been freed from slavery and bondage, but now we have a clause in there that says, oh, if you do some act that we consider or deem criminal, then we have the right to incarcerate you, to enslave you, to put you in the prison system. And that's why we have that prison industrial complex today mm -hmm. coming out of that 13th Amendment. I don't know what you think, Frank, but we need to talk about it in depth a little bit tonight. I think we do because, one, I would hope that people in general mm -hmm. who read the, the Constitution would take the time to realize that the Constitution did not change anything from the standpoint of saying slavery is abolished. It only stated that, okay, we recognize that Africans in America are free based on the 13th Amendment. But it said if you are a criminal, if you are accused of a crime and you are found guilty, you are enslaved. That was followed up by their actions. If you found someone who was a vagabond, if you found someone who was strolling down the railroad track, if you found someone who was not at work, you found someone who didn't have a job, you, they had the, uh, the authority to grab that person and loan them out without pay. That's true. Those activities took place. Now, I understand. You know, it's kind of like I said to my wife to, this morning. I said, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. If you believe in Facebook and you believe that you have friends, you, you're being misled. Mm -hmm. Because True. on Facebook, it shows that I have 1.8 thousand friends. Okay. I don't even know 1.8 thousand friends. Okay. So 
one, I realized when I posted that post that I would not have 1,800 friends or 1.8,000 friends. I knew I wasn't going to have that number of people. You probably have two out of them. That's right. I knew I wasn't going to have that number of people who are saying, yep, I go along with it. I like it. Oh, God. Because they wouldn't want their names associated with this type post. And I think that is part of our problem, you know, that we have to feel safe having discussions about our history for the month of February for some people to feel safe. But let's make sure that the post that we post is a pictorial of somebody who has done something great, the best trumpeteer, you know, the best best person to to play a violin. This person played a trombone. This person went into the Hall of Fame. That's what we have to do to feel safe for some, and that's what we have to do to make other people feel safe. Am I on target with that? You're on target, but I also think, too, that sometimes feeling safe can be deceptive. Mm -hmm. Because while you think you feel safe or you believe yourself to be safe, there's still forces out there that will always work to make sure that you are never safe. Mm -hmm. And by that, the example I would take is after the 13th Amendment, what followed it? The 14th. And Reconstruction. That's right. So the Reconstruction period went so far as to wipe out all the gains that were made. Right. And then you follow Reconstruction by Jim Crow Mm -hmm. and Jim Crow by white supremacy Mm -hmm. and the Klan writing. Mm -hmm. All of this was designed to make you feel unsafe and to make sure that you never try to be equal. Right. Some of us succeeded in, in ignoring that and becoming successful, but the point is, as a collective group, we still suffer the ills of not feeling safe, not knowing that our children are safe. You know, when I watched the president speak, and this president said, I never had to have a conversation with my children. That tells you that his world that he lives in is completely different than black families. That's right. He does not have to sit down and tell his children how to behave when they're stopped by the police, how to respond when they are confronted by someone who is trying to make them uncomfortable. He never has that. They have the confidence to be anything and everything they want to be. That's right. And I think... I I congratulate him for even saying it, because until he said it, I don't think white America accepted the fact. And some of them may have ignored it, but they didn't acknowledge the fact that there's a different treatment that's done to people who are of color versus people who are not. And so we have to always be on guard. And it's a false it's a false narrative. It's like what you were talking about Facebook. All those likes, we have in our head decided, because somebody says, I like you, that they're your friend. That is fake news. Mm -hmm. You might have in that group your family members 
and close friends who truly are your friend, but everybody else who's responding just responds because they're hoping that you'll give them a like to. Right. So we need to get away from what I call, and I'm glad Trump brought that up as fake news, mm. you know, because fake news has been around since time immortal. Mm. If you go through every period in history, there's some fake news going on. The fake news today is that they want you to think that you are incapable and that you are not worthy of being on the same level as they are. Mm. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. That's what we need to stress more. For our children, for our grandchildren, we're not doing it for ourselves, you and I, Frank. Mm. We're doing it for the future generations. Just like our ancestors prayed for the future generations. Right. They knew they would never see freedom, but they prayed for the day that their future generations would know freedom. Right. And that's why we can sit here today and we can have this conversation about what it means and what the 13th Amendment is actually saying. You know, because the, the front page of it is saying one thing, but the substance behind it is completely different. Right. And that's what we're not getting. We're looking at the headline, and we're forgetting that underneath every advertisement, there's small, fine print. Mm -hmm. And it's that fine print that I want people to be able to start reading and paying attention to. Well, you know, that's interesting. You know, that's mm -hmm. interesting because we talked about Martin Luther King Jr. Yep. And we talked about the transformation he was going through. You know, towards his assassination. Mm -hmm. And he began to criticize those individuals who once marched with him. Mm -hmm. He criticized those who once provided financial support. The world was changing around them. And that support started dropping off. He recognized that. And he also recognized that what he was saying before did not equate to what was happening at the moment. So I look at this whole thing and I'm saying, you know, we are just this month alone, this year, I've asked so many questions about African-American history. Mm -hmm. You know, who's who is celebrating or observing Black History Month, where are the displays? Where are the commercials? Where are the ads? Where, you know, nothing is even mentioned. We hear more about Valentine's Day than we hear about African American History Month. I see balls jumping up all over the place. Let's, we're gonna have this Valentine's ball. Mm -hmm. But you're not even talking about African American history. You're not even thinking about it. And this is what people like DeSantis and, and, and his followers and his cohorts are all doing. They want to distract you. They want you to, to get so upset. They want you to be bothered by it the way you say, hey, I, I'm just not going to bother. I'm not going to worry about it. And they're saying just the way we want it to be. We want you to be angry enough to just throw your hands up. And leave it alone. It is sad. You know, I'm approaching this because 
I'm concerned about it. I know that there are a lot of people who are talking about black history. I watch YouTube. I keep up with history. I read about books. I read the books. So I know that there are people who are involved. But they're in pockets. It should be that that is the subject of the month. If you're not even going to discuss it in March. Because, you know, I love it when I hear when I hear people say people of color. Because all people of color do not deal with the same issues of African Americans. Well, They don't. Not by law crank, or anything crank, else. Crank. You know, when I when I use people of color, that is strictly African Americans in the US. Yeah. There might be people who have the similar shade or darker shade than us yeah. around the world, but they are never referred to as people of color. Right. So people of color I'm proud to say people of color. You know why? Mm. Because it's exclusive to us. Yeah. And when you say people of color, no other continent uses that but us. Mm. And we should make turn turn the tables. You know, we don't turn the tables enough to take a negative and turn it into a positive. Mm-hmm. It always makes me think about when I was a kid and my something happened, I was very upset. My oldest sister God bless her. She looked at me. She says, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And I looked at her like, make lemonade. And it took me to be an adult to understand that sometimes you can take a negative and you can use that negative as a positive and you can change people's minds and hearts because you can do that. We have to be able to fight differently not just marching, but to know Black History Month should be every day of your life. Right. You should live it, eat it, smell it, taste it. Right. There should never be a time that you are not aware of what black people have done in this country and how they have built this country. Right. You should not sit around crying about, well, I don't want to identify with being a slave. Well, let me give you a piece of news that's not fake. Slaves built this country. Slaves built the economy, and slaves made people rich. We are those people that made people rich. And as long as we want to turn away from that and not acknowledge it, we cannot find common ground. We have to find a common message and a common ground, and that common ground is what will take all of us across the finish line. You know, I love John Lewis because he always said he likes to get into good trouble. That's what we're doing, Frank. Mm -hmm. We're getting into good trouble because this is trouble that we need to be part of. You know, trouble isn't always bad. If you can make a change, Martin did good trouble. Malcolm did good trouble. They tried to change the status quo. We could do the same, but we have to start in our minds. We cannot cling to fear, and we cannot cling to the fact that something makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You should be proud that some you can point to a relative in your family. 
You talk about genealogy. You and I discuss genealogy all the time. And we both talk about our ancestors and how they were enslaved and finding their slave records and finding the first census, the 1870 census, where they're listed as free people. And their families are together as free people. And sometimes the little ones in the family get to go to school. And you see it marked down on the census record that at they're school. at school. Right. At school. Okay? And then you look to the next 10 years, because the census happens every 10 years. Mm-hmm. And you next, the next 10 years, you see that they all own something. Mm-hmm. They're running a business. They're farming. They're doing things. And they're making sure that their family survives. That's a history. That's a history every black American has. Mm-hmm. Whether you know it or not, you're obligated to go and find it. If somebody hasn't told you, there's ways to go and find it. That's what ancestry research is about. It's about finding the missing pieces so you can create your your family history and your family tree. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why you think you shouldn't have a family tree. Everybody has a family tree with deep roots. Right. And you can be surprised sometimes how deep your roots go. You and I have talked about it. I have an ancestor that I can point to that goes to 1770. And I know it goes further. It's just that right now I can't piece together all the information I need to confirm it. But I know clearly this ancestor's mother lived before, because she was born in America, then her mother had to have lived before 1770. Mm -hmm. We're getting into colonial territory here. Right. We don't know how far we go back until we try to do the research. Right. And we have to start by knowing who we are, not who the book tells you you are, not the name that somebody wants to give you, but the name that you know exists for your family. And it can be done. Take the time to read. Take the time to go to the library. Ask somebody to help you look up a census record for your mother and father. Mm-hmm. And you may find that you find your grandmother and grandfather. Mm-hmm. That's the start of it. It doesn't happen overnight and every day. But if you understand that, then you understand that your family came through those same periods that Frank's talking about where the 13th Amendment was and the time after. They may have served in the First World War, the Second World War. I just today found one of my relatives who I did not know served in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Shocking. And I was like, I never, I never knew that. I knew there was a missing piece, but here this person was <laughs> in the 69th Regiment Infantry in the Civil War. I wouldn't have thought that as a kid. Mm-hmm. But we never know until we go and you check those records. You're right. So we have we have to encourage people to look up their history and look up their trees and make an effort to piece together a family tree so you at least know who you are and how far back in this country you go and you won't be looking overseas to other places because your your roots are here. And I think that you have to, I think that you have to be able to, as you 
developed this tree for mm-hmm. your family. Mm-hmm. And you start placing your family into the timelines of history. Mm-hmm. As you as you read the Constitution or you deal with emancipation and all of the different events, and you place your family members into those timelines, mm-hmm. it gives you the opportunity to really understand what was taking place. Right. And not go by what you've been told, possibly by others. Mm-hmm. I, I made a conscious decision not to bring up the 14th Amendment right. and to start with the right. 13th Amendment because in my writings or even in my speeches, you will hear me saying Africans in America mm-hmm. versus African-American. Right. I hope to be able to clear that up when I moved to the 14th Amendment to be able to explain why I say Africans in America versus African-American. And then some people will understand it, some people won't, some people would agree, some disagree. Mm -hmm. But what is written is, is a fact. What is written is a fact. And that's all I can present to you. Right. But Martha... This conversation has gone by, and we've put in so much. We've wow. reached the end of Is this episode. Already? We have. I hope I can squeeze one thing in. Okay. That when you look at the census record for the First World War, you will see black men who registered for that war mm-hmm. listed themselves as African. Yep. So we we can say we're African. Mm-hmm. Living in America, and I agree with you. Yeah. We're Africans in America. Right. So, enough said. Well, Martha, you know that I appreciate you. Same here. You know that I love you. I love you more. To our guests. We're going to say. I love you as well. And until next time. Be good. Be good.